can I just commend you as to what a fabulous church you are? Um, you're a lovely bunch of people, do you know that? It's an absolute delight when you lead in worship and someone gives an opportunity for people to pray out and then you almost need to interrupt them to stop them talking to Jesus. And that's a delightful thing to do, isn't it, Nathan? Yeah, it's fantastic. So, uh, this morning, uh, let me start off by saying I have absolutely no right to preach this psalm to you at all this morning. So, uh, confession right from the start. Having looked over this, I don't feel I have anything uh, and any right to be de- teaching anybody else on this stuff whatsoever. So anything that I do say today that makes you uh, uncomfortable or sounds like a dig in any way is entirely unintentional. And if things do get a little bit challenging for some of us, then I'm including myself in this right from the off. Perfectly aware of my own failings and foibles as well. So, uh, can we have the PowerPoint up, guys? That would be fantastic. Oh, it's up there. Oh, it's up there as well. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. Isn't it lovely when technology works? Does that work? Whoa. Right, okay. Right, okay. Um, Well, uh, let's keep it light, shall we? So, we're going to start by playing a little game. Everybody up for a little game this morning? Being as how everybody else is sitting watching a game somewhere else, we're going to play a little one uh, in here this morning. So um, we're going to set a timer on the screen. Grace is, is going to get that one sorted out for me. I'm going to ask you a question, and when you've got an answer to that question, I want you to put your hand up in the air. Is that clear? It's quite easy. I'm just going to ask you a question. When you've got an answer to that question, you put a hand in the air. Don't go yet, Grace. Okay. So Now, here's the tricky part for you. Okay. In a few seconds, what I'm going to ask you is about some sin that you've committed. Um, uh, whether that's a thought that you had, whether it's something that you've done or something that you've said to somebody else that you wish you could take back, uh, that you know didn't please God. But uh, don't worry, okay, we're not going to do the whole uh, public confessional thing this morning. You're okay? Ah, oh, no, no. Is that, is that good? Is that good, Ludna? All right. I thought you were disappointed for a second there, Lou. I thought you desperately wanted to unburden yourself before the entire congregation this morning. But yeah, yeah, just you and God. Okay, yeah, you're in safer hands then, aren't you, generally speaking, but we'll get on to that in a bit. Now, if the whole idea of sin is too much for you to face up today, let's just call it something that you regret before the Lord, if that's easier for you. Uh, something that you wish you could take back or undo. Uh, so is everybody clear what I'm asking? Yeah, okay. All you've got to do is think of something. And uh, are we ready, Grace, with the timer? Right, okay. Now, uh, here's the timer. So it's going to count down for a minute. So um, when I say go, um, keep your hand up as soon as you've thought something that you regret. Now, I knew this was coming. So here's mine. Uh, pre- here's one I prepared earlier. Yeah. Um, so on the mark of uh, when we go, Grace, Go. Some of you are now sifting through all of the ones, trying to find the best one to stick your hand up for. Halfway through, guys. Halfway through. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. 
If you're struggling, now's the time to be praying. Search my heart, O God. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Keep your hands up just for a second. Brilliant. Thank you, Grace. Uh, that's really good. We would give you a round of applause, but we can't because we've got one hand in the air. Um, so, for those of you that don't have your hand up, maybe we need to go a little bit longer. Uh, but just look around the room at each other for a moment. Well, your hands in the air again. If you put your hand up, that's brilliant. Yeah? Hmm. Okay, if you didn't put your hand up, maybe you do uh, uh, want to think a little bit harder. But the world and the devil would look at that sea of hands and go, what a bunch of hypocrites and sinners, wouldn't they? We all know what we like. What a waste of space we are. Call themselves Christians. Do you know what heaven looks at a sea of hands like that and throws a party? You know that? There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that recognizes it and repents than over 99 people that don't know that they need to. Yeah? Heaven looks at us this morning and goes, that's fantastic. Let's have a party. All of these people recognize that it's wrong. And Jesus looks at you this morning and goes, you know what? I can work with that. Someone who goes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. Jesus goes, fantastic. Come on, let's move that one forwards. You're in good company if you had your hand in the air this morning. Yeah? You're part of the redeemed people of God. The rest of us are right there with you. It's those that know that they desperately need a saviour that find one in Jesus. Do you know, Jesus played this game when he was on earth. You remember the story? <coughs> During his earthly ministry in John 8, we read that people had caught a woman in bed with somebody who wasn't their husband. She literally caught in the act of adultery. So they drag her out and throw her on the ground in front of Jesus and go, look, there she is, a sinner. We caught one. Clear as day, no doubt about it, she deserves to die. And Jesus very cleverly does the thing that Jesus does and points out to them that if she deserves to die, then so do they. Uh, because only those that have never, never sinned are free from the wages of death, as Paul tells us. You know, Only those that have never sinned are free from the wages of sin. So he asked them the question, the same question from that game this morning, anyone never sinned? And just like us, it doesn't take long before each realise their own answer to the question and quietly shuffle off. Because uh, we all know what we like the moment we start looking. Um, and there's no one left, no one condemning them because they all know that they are just the same. We're all caught in the same position. And then there's no one left, no one condemning her, no one judging her for who she is, who after a lifetime of self-refraction could go, I've never done anything wrong. Apart from Jesus, of course. Who, after a lifetime of self-reflection, is still going, nope, nothing in there. So, nothing in there. So the only one who could have chucked a stone at her, looks at her and goes, I don't condemn you either. 
go. Instead, he chooses to forgive her. The only one who could have chucked a stone at her for the sin in her life doesn't. He forgives her. At which point, she hasn't even asked for it. He just looks at her and knows her regret. And goes, I don't forgive, I don't condemn you either. Yes, because the Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world. To catch us all out for the things that we've done wrong. That trap us down and make us feel guilty about our lives. He came into the world to save it. You know that turn or burn was never the gospel, don't you? Turn or burn was never the gospel. You've been rescued. His God loved you so much he gave his one and only son for you. And this woman who's fully aware of her sin, who's been caught red-handed in it, walks away forgiven and restored. Although he does caution her, don't and don't make the same mistakes again. Whoops. So let's see for a minute. Let's have a think for a minute. Because I would suggest this. That it's not the sins that we're aware of that are likely to bring us down and destroy us. It's the one that you can't see that gets you every time. Yeah? It's those things that you're doing wrong and you almost don't even notice that you're doing it that tend to catch you out. Those that spotted this woman's sin a mile off and knew what her problem was had lost sight of the fact that their own sin was just as surely going to end in their death as hers was. And our society is just the same. Ask someone to describe sin today and you're most likely to get a list of things that other people do wrong. Have you noticed that? They will ask somebody what sin is and people will think about somebody else in the world and they'll go, ha, that one over there, that world leader there, that guy that just caught out with that. Because sin's become something that I wouldn't do in our world, yeah? Most people look at sin and they go, what's a sin? It's something I wouldn't do. It's something that other people do. It's that bad thing that I can spot in them. It's someone else's debacity, someone else's deceit, someone else's deception. And my own little misdemeanors, they don't really count because they're no worse than anybody else's. And I can spot a thousand people that are much worse than I am in the world and therefore my sins don't count. I suggest that rather than an awareness of our sinful nature and catching ourselves out in things, being a cause for concern, it's our lack of awareness of our sinful nature that's ultimately likely to lead to our downfall. So what I want to do this morning is just think about this in line with David's sin in this situation. Now, we all know the story of David and Bathsheba. Wave at me if you know the story of David and Bathsheba. If you don't, go and have a look at it. It's a really good story. 2 Samuel 11 starts off like this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed at home in Jerusalem. Isn't that how things usually start to go wrong? Instead of being where we're meant to be, doing the thing that God's called us to do uh, and sharing, we wind up somewhere else and then we end up looking at the stuff that we shouldn't be looking at. And we get sucked into finding out more about that stuff. And then we put ourselves in compromising positions and we end up compromising ourselves. And then before we stop to think about it, uh, we're full on stuffed up. 
before we've even thought about it. You know, in my experience, very few people set out to stuff their lives up completely. Is that true? Most people don't go, you know what, let's just explode the entire thing. There may be one or two people I've come across in my life who just deliberately went, you know what, I'm just going to burn it all down. But it's not common. Not many people set out to have an affair. Most people don't decide to cover up their sin by murdering their witnesses. And if that is you this morning, can I suggest that you come forward for prayer at the end of the service, please? Um, The problem is that we struggle to see the end from the beginning and we don't always grasp where sin's leading us until it's too late. Now, David as king should have known from the beginning that his place was with his fighting men. Maybe secretly he did. I actually wonder whether there's a little bit of stuff going on and niggling at David that he's up and walking around the palace in the middle of the night anyway because he can't sleep. But anyway, here he is, he's on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba bathing naked on the roof. Now he could have looked away at that point and realised, whoops, shouldn't be here, should I? I should have been with the fighting men. Uh, But he didn't. He went, ooh, she's nice. And he could have left it at that, but he didn't. He sent other people to make inquiries about her and they came back and said, she's Uriah's wife. And he should have gone, she's married. Right, okay, bad move. But he didn't, did he? He sent for her and she came to him, at which point he could have settled for cocktails and a chat on the terrace in the, in the starlight. But he didn't, did he? Uh, he took her to bed and he slept with her, at which point he should have realised that things had gone way, way, way too far and now we're full on breaking Ten, ten Commandments stuff. Um, but he didn't, did he? And so one thing leads to another. And then he gets that brilliant one-liner. One of my young people depicted this perfectly. At one point, we were creating a Bible timeline of of things in David's life. And there's this lovely little illustration that one of the young people put on about this moment in David's life. Two little stick people stood next to each other. One with a crown on and one with a big fat belly with a little speech bubble coming out that just says, on preggers. Well, that's basically about what David gets. This little one-liner that says she's pregnant. Which surely would, should have been enough to bring David to his knees in confession and repentance with a lifetime offer of child support and reparations to all the family and everybody he'd injured through this kind of stuff. But he didn't, did he? Now he's caught out, and if the rest of people find out, then his whole world comes crashing down around him. So he tries this sneaky, behind-the-scenes trickery that means he can avoid anybody knowing what he's done. And he tries to play Uriah for a fool. But, if you know the story, Uriah's a better man than David. He won't stay home in the comfort of his own bed with the comfort of his own wife while his men are risking their lives fighting in battle, which, of course, is exactly what David had done. Stayed at home in the comfort of his own bed with the comfort of somebody else's wife. Um, David could have accepted defeat at that point and settled for the consequences of what he'd done, but he didn't. Facing his sin and being exposed and his credibility destroyed, he takes it one step further and arranges that the guy 
be killed. So let's just review that sequence again. Because I think this speaks something to us this morning. Starts off choosing not to be where God has called him to lead. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time, looking again when he should have looked away. He's not accepting of boundaries. In this case, it's a marriage boundary. But for some of us, there's all kinds of boundaries. Where do we draw the lines? So he ends up committing sin. In David's case, it's adultery. And then he's hiding the evidence of his sin. You know, he's attempting to falsify things. And then finally, he compounds the sin by committing conspiracy to murder someone else's wife. Now, I wonder how David would have felt when he chose not to go with the army if somebody said, David, as king, failing to go with your men will end up with you murdering a righteous man. Do you think that would have felt like a prophetic word in that moment? One small decision, no, I'm staying home this time round. The other guys can go and lead the army. If, if the answer had been, ah, you do that, you're going to end up murdering somebody. It's hard to see, isn't it? Truth is that most of us would have failed to see that end from the beginning. But that's why we need to keep short accounts with God, isn't it? That's why we need to seek the wisdom and counsel of the Lord and his people because often we don't see where this is heading until it's too late. Search my heart, O God, and see if there's any offences way in me, says Psalm 139. And that needs to become a way of life for us as a people of God, doesn't it? Lord, test me. Check me out. Let me see the stuff that I can't see inside of me. Let me know what my heart's really like. Confess your sins to each other so you can be healed, says James 5.16. Be honest about your struggles and your shortcomings so they don't get a chance to escalate. Be tempted with somebody. Share that with someone you can trust. You go, you know, I've got an issue with that one. I'm like, you know, help me, pray for me. Be accountable. Teach and admonish one another with spiritual wisdom and understanding, Colossians 3.16 says. Because the problem is, since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and covered their nakedness to hide themselves from each other and then hid in the undergrowth trying to hide from God, we've been doing the same thing ever since, haven't we? Something goes wrong in our lives, we don't want anybody to know about it, and we hide it away. Can I just say, hiding never helps. (coughs) Hiding away from the truth stops us growing, stops us changing, stops us becoming better. And even after Uriah's death, David doesn't seem to have clocked the guilt of his sin. Do you notice this? So preoccupied with himself, he can't actually even see what he's done. So he just takes Bathsheba home to be his wife. Chances are that no one will clock the baby's born just a little bit early. And besides a few key trusted commanders, no one's any the wiser. He can probably get away with this now. Who knows how much further David's sin might have gone if God hadn't come up with what I'm going to call a rescue plan. And I did say that, yeah, a rescue plan. David probably deserved hellfire and damnation, but God had a rescue plan. Because God has seen the beginning. 
from the end. He knew where this was going from the off. He was there when David made the wrong choice to stay home. He was there when David kept watching Bathsheba bathing. He saw the messengers making inquiries here. David sent for her. He watched while David broke covenant with the Lord and dishonored another man by sleeping with his wife. And he saw the lengths that David was prepared to go to cover up his sin. He could see how far David's heart had fallen. So he made a plan to call him back. He let Nathan the prophet in on the secret. Have you ever shared something with somebody? And uh, they've gone, how did you know that? You just have an inkling from the Lord about somebody and you share a little word with them. I don't know whether it's ever happened to you. One of the joys of my life to do that occasionally. And just to go, ah, I think God's saying this. And they go, how did you know that? That's funny, that, isn't it? Because I couldn't know that. I didn't know about that at all. But God in his goodness and his graciousness occasionally talks to people. If the Spirit of God lives in me and the Spirit of God lives in you, it shouldn't be surprising if the Spirit in you can see some of the stuff that's going on in me and vice versa, should it? We're connected together as God's people. We're joined together by the Spirit of God. I wonder how much Nathan actually knows There's a bit in the story that suggests that God actually told him quite a bit of what was going on. Only God knows everything that he revealed to Nathan. But Nathan comes with a story that speaks to David's heart in a way that sometimes a full-on rebuke doesn't speak to us. Hands up if you love a full-on rebuke. Yeah. Doesn't kind of... Somebody comes gently to you and goes, Ah, you know that thing. What about this? You're much more likely to respond sensitively. Someone's gentle and careful with you. Yeah? I think if, if Nathan had come to David and gone, King, you're done. God sorted you out. That would have not gone too well. But actually, God's really gracious. Just like Jesus did with a woman caught in adultery when the crowd was so angered by the sin that was in front of them. God sets David up as the judge of his own actions. And then points to him. <laughs> that be you, that be. I'm not sure he did it in that accent, actually. But, but that be you, that be. Yeah. So as David pronounces the death sentence on the guy in the story, he ends up realising that that's him. You know the way that that made you feel when you heard of somebody doing that thing in that story? That's you, that is. God didn't need to actually come in full on. He just needed to expose the guy's sin to himself. Have you ever had one of those moments, people, uh, where you realise where you'd be if it wasn't for the saving grace of Jesus? I've had quite a lot of those moments, if I'm honest. One of those moments where you realise that whatever you've done and whoever you've hurt, that your sin's actually against the Lord, that it's no use trying to excuse or justify your actions. Because you're not comparing yourself to somebody else's standards like the rest of the world does. You're caught to a higher standard. And the only yardstick you can measure yourself against is the perfection of Jesus. And when you're measured against him, you fall sort of absurdly short. <laughs> yeah. I've sinned against the Lord. 
Let me tell you something. I think we all need those moments when our foundations are shaken and we realize that we're building on something other than Jesus. That there was actually sand under our feet instead of rock. But those moments that shake us in that way are not about our destruction. God doesn't bring us face to face with ourselves so we can have our self-esteem destroyed. He brings us face to face with ourselves so that we can realize again our need and find that need provided for completely in Jesus, our Savior, the one that rescues us from all our stuff. I've sinned against the Lord, says David, and the immediate response comes back. Listen to this. The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. What? Free Jesus. Free Jesus, someone repents and the Lord takes away their sin. Straight away. Yep. No sacrifice. No blood of bulls and goats. No burnt offerings. Nope. You don't delight in sacrifice or bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, Lord, will not despise. Psalm 51, 16 to 17. So if God is there, listen, this is really important for some of us this morning. If God is there a thousand plus years ahead of Jesus' death and resurrection, willing to forgive and take away a man's sin because he repented wholeheartedly, do you think there's a good chance that you, as a child of God, a brother or sister to King Jesus and someone called to be a friend of the Saviour of the world, who before you were even conceived was willing to die for you, do you think there's just a chance that your sins could be forgiven too? If God could do it for David in an instance when he saw his heart, pre-Jesus, pre-all of it cost him to send the Son of God into the world, Do you think now, having given up everything for us, there's a chance that we can have the slate wiped clean too? Someone really needs to hear that this morning. Someone else brought me a word just before the start of the service and said there's somebody struggling with the guilt of their sins this morning. They don't believe they can get free of it. Yes, you can. Yes, you are. The very act, the fact that you're wrestling with the guilt of your sin this morning means that God is here, ready to take it away and to wipe it away today. If the very thing that you think keeps you from being accepted and acceptable is proof that you're made accepted and acceptable in his sight. Maybe you're going, but you don't know my sin, and that's probably true because I don't, because we don't do what the scripture tells us to do, do we? And confess our sins to one another. So maybe, no, maybe I don't know. I do know that God does, and that is nothing he's not prepared to deal with for you. Are you where you shouldn't be, doing what you shouldn't do? He's got that. Are you looking at what you shouldn't do and liking what you see? Like David was, he's got that. Are you full on lusting after someone else's wife or husband? He's got that one too. 
Have you given in to temptation and consummated the sin? He's got that. Are you frightened of being found out that your world will come crashing down? He's got that. Have you ever tried to cover things up and lied your way out? Guess what? He's got that. Have you murdered someone else to cover your tracks? Just ask him. He's got that. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus does not cover. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 7. So don't give up, people. He's got you. There's none of us that's not in exactly the same place. Jesus has got us. What a saviour. I've just got a few closing tips from Psalm 51 for us and then we're done. Verses 1 and 2 call on the character and nature of God because we know what our character and nature is like. But God is unfailing in his love and mercy towards you. Because of your unfailing love and mercy, Lord, rescue me. We recognise against you and you only have I sinned. You're the benchmark, Lord. Not those around me, not anybody else. You're the benchmark. If I've stuffed up, it's you that I'm measured against. So, Lord, create in me a new heart. I can't change unless you change me. I know what I'm like. We all need the Spirit of God at work in us, transforming, transforming us from the inside out. Spare me, Lord, and I'll start again. I know I can't bribe you, but I am humbled. There's nothing I can do to win you back. I don't need to repent and repent and repent and repent and say the words a thousand times to get you to change your mind. You just need my heart, Lord. You can see my heart, Lord. Here I am. Change me. And Lord, I'm like a ruined city. Those last strange verses from Psalm 51. David likens himself to Jerusalem. I'm like a ruined city, Lord. I've wrecked my life. My walls are in ruins. Build me up again, Lord. And God goes, yeah, okay. I got this. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for Jesus. Lord, where will we be without him? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I want to thank you for the truth of that. You didn't wait for us to get our act together before you came and rescued us. You didn't even wait to be asked by that woman caught in adultery, Lord God. You just went, I don't condemn you either. So Lord, here we are, your people. We know who we are. We know what we are. And Lord, we don't rejoice because we've got ourselves sorted. We rejoice because we know who we are, but we know one who is so much better, so much greater, so much more able. You are everything that we are not, Lord. You are the one who never has to examine himself to find some sin inside. You are the perfect, sinless one. And Lord, when you died and when you rose... You gave yourself completely for us, Lord, that we get this incredible joy of swapping who we are for who you are and receiving your spirit who inwardly transforms us.
day by day into your image. Lord, for some of us, we want to confess that that feels like a really slow process. But Lord, I thank you that you're always at work and you're still working. And sometimes, maybe, some of us are trying just a bit too hard in our own strength and need to trust you that you've got this, Lord, that you are at work. Lord, will you continue changes and shape us into your image? Will you continue to work at us? Keep us at short account with you, Lord God. Help us to be open. Help us to be accountable. Help us to be changed and transformed. Help us to be willing to be vulnerable. Help us to be all of those things. Lord, before you, absolutely, but with one another as well. Lord, help us not to hide away in fear of what others will think. But Lord, help us to trust in your unfailing love. Your grace and mercy poured out on us without measure. And your cleansing of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.